It's happened before. It can happen again. We've been talking in these weeks about revival and God grabbing a hold of individuals, the church, our nation, and the world, and bringing fresh transformation. Now, some of us in this room are old enough to uh, remember what that clip was talking about, the Jesus movement. Others of us are like that director John Irwin just said, don't know anything about it. I'm not going to ask you for a raise of hands, but the age that I am, I do recall that something was sort of stirring and moving in California, having lived in the Midwest at the time. And um, then I became sort of the recipient of some of that pouring out of that movement. And you were too. If you enjoy contemporary Christian music, I think uh, I used to play... uh, Larry Norman and Randy Stonehill over and over again in my younger years. And uh, then a lot of movement happened from that, not just with music, but in transformation of culture. They say that there's different awakenings that have happened in the United States of America. The first great awakening, uh, which preceded uh, the forming of the Constitution and the awakening that came in the northeastern part of the country. And then the second great awakening um, that... uh, moved across different sectors. Um, There's other awakenings, though, that have been described. One of those had to do with um, business prayer men's meeting in um, New York City and how that worked. But this idea that uh, something happened in the 70s that was out of the normal in culture in our world is a recorded historical event And some of you, maybe even more directly than music and other things, were impacted by that Jesus movement. And it is interesting that Time Magazine, that was before a lot of the social media and everything, right? I mean, whatever was put on the cover of Time Magazine was a pretty big deal. And the Jesus Revolution tag that they gave to that movement, the cover on June 21st of 1971... Uh, was a stark uh, reminder that there was something beyond the ordinary that was happening. But if you look at the culture at that time, it was interesting. If you drop yourselves back into the 60s, in the 60s, there was a lot of turmoil and confusion. There was a, a lot of bantering about ideas and changes that needed to be happening in our world. If you remember, that was during the years, the many, many years of the Vietnam War, and people were uh, seeing their sons brought home in body bags from overseas. There was the drug culture that was uh, rampantly starting to go about in the world. There was uh, the sexual revolution and the feminist movement and some of these kinds of things. But then on the political front, you had the, the racial tension. There was the Civil Rights Act that had just come out. The young president John Kennedy was assassinated. In 1963, five years later, Martin Luther King was assassinated. And then Robert Kennedy, that same year in 68. It was during that time that Time Magazine had another, Time Magazine had another, um, excuse me, Time Magazine had another cover, and it was this cover. It was the cover that is really popular and famous, and it was the first time they ever 
had a cover that had no picture on it. Is God dead? April 8th, 1966. Where's God at? What's going on in the culture at that time in the 60s? Is God dead? Five years later, time is putting this on the cover. The Jesus Revolution. It happened before. It can happen again. Sometimes we get despondent when we see things happening in our world or our culture, maybe our community, our own family, and we go, well, things ever change. Things can change. Things can change. But like we've uh, looked at the last couple of weeks, there, there's a need for spiritual hunger. and There's a need for divine belief that things can happen. And I want to encourage us this morning that revival is possible. A personal spiritual awakening and a revived church for a dying world. As we were worshiping, though, the thought came to me, not a good thought. Oh, here we go. We're gathered again singing about something that a lot of us haven't really experienced, the God of revival. Oh, sure, we had a quickening in our heart and we came to know Jesus, but we've never experienced a movement of God in a community, whether in a church setting or uh, in a national scene. Could you very well have your life pass without experiencing what's been known as a great awakening in our world? Could I? You know, it's interesting with the words revival and awakening. They're actually a little bit different. Revival has to do with restoring something that's dead coming to life. So revival is really a word for the church. The church needs to be revived. Because the reality is we think sometimes our problems are in the White House. And God says, no, I believe the problems are in my house. And so revival is normally a term that's directed to the church. But then it spills over into an awakening which happens with people and with society. And things are made right. One person said revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented that he shows up himself. Do you want revival? Do we want revival? Are we hungry for revival? Or is it just another nice message series that's going by the wayside on a Sunday morning? My thought as we sang, talking about dry bones coming to life, and talked about that last week with Ezekiel and the vision of the dry bones. Do we really believe? Only, Lord, you know if these dead bones can live. And then as we sang God of Revival, I'm like, Okay, I, I sing about it, but, but have I ever been caught up in it? Ever been caught up in it? The smallest sense of that, and some of you heard me say this before, is when I was younger and I was a part of a youth ministry movement that you know, blossomed from you know, 20, 30 broken kids to 120 kids within just a few short months and impacts in the high school and kids coming to know Jesus Christ and out of that movement that I was a part of with some of the people in that church at that time uh, in the Midwest, I, I, I still know today people that are in ministry and serving God powerfully because of it. Revival and awakening doesn't have to necessarily be sustained. 
In fact, it's not sustained over the course of time. There's ebb and flow. There's ebb and flow not only to the national scene for a revival and a heart for God and the church, but that's also true of our own life. There's some ebb and flow that happens. As one uh, revivalist, Billy Sunday, once said concerning revival, he says, you know, revival doesn't uh, always continue to, to happen and carry forward, but it's just like a bath. It's always good to have one every now and then. Do you need a bath? Do you need to be refreshed? Do you need to be revived? Do you need to be awakened and quickened in your spirit? What about us as a church? Do we believe that? Do we believe that for the churches in our valley? The churches in our nation, the church around the world in different pockets, different pockets of the world are experiencing tremendous revival. You don't hear about it, but people coming to know the Lord in, in, in massive kinds of numbers, even when it's not visible. You know, during that Vietnam War, when things closed down for the West, we left behind a vibrant church. And church leaders, the Christian Missionary Alliance, were a part of uh, they were a part of the establishment of the Jesus movement, if you will, in Vietnam. They were on the second to the last helicopters out of Vietnam and was like, well, what happened? What happened after we left? We wondered, we wondered. But God moved in the underground and the Vietnamese Alliance Church now is one of the largest churches uh, in the world. China, the same thing. You think all that's going on with China, there's an underground church in China, but God will reach his people. And many times there's suffering and persecution that brings about a revival. Is God dead? Jesus' revolution. Five years later. It happened before. It can happen again. And I want to endear our hearts to that idea because I am determined not to let it go in my life and in my generation and in our church. Some of you are familiar with some of the old-time revivalists or preachers that happened in our country. I'm a historian, uh, especially of American church history. Because if it happened before, I want to see it happen again. I want to know what happened, right? A lot of times you learn from history. You don't uh, learn not to repeat the same mistakes. But you also learn to have hope and an opportunity to be able to seize things and take them on. One of the uh, preachers in uh, days gone by was D.L. Moody, and he saw a revival of his own sort of happen in Chicagoland area and others, and, and he was a spark for many things. He had a contemporary by the name of R.A. Torrey. Now, back in those days, I guess they used to use their initials a lot. So if you had to use the initials for your name, what would your name be? My name would be K.D. Bowman, so you can just call me K.D. if you want. There is a K.D., but he's a much better basketball player than me. R.A. Torrey, in his years, I believe it was in a setting in 1917 that he stood before some people and he says, I have a prescription for revival. Now, when I heard the ter- hear the term prescription for revival, I sort of peel back a little bit because I'm like, revival comes by the grace and the hand of God. And we've mentioned that. We can't make revival happen. Only God can change the hearts of people. 
Only God can bring the quickening and the awakening to a culture. And so we are at his mercy. But we can place ourselves in line for that blessing. And I believe that's what Oratory is saying when, when he gives a prescription for revival. And it's pretty simple, he said. He said this. First, let a few Christians, they need not be many, get thoroughly right with God. This is a prime essential. If this is not done, the rest that I am to say, well, will come to nothing. So the first step of the prescription is to get thoroughly right with God in obedience to him. And then he said the second is let them bind themselves together to pray for revival until God opens the heavens. Bring them together and pray. Third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for him to use as he sees fit in winning others to Christ. That is all. It cannot fail. There you go. You ready? We'll put those three things into action, right? Get a few people together. doesn't need to be many who are thoroughly spiritually hungry and willing to get right with God. Repentance and prayer and God seeking out a fresh obedience, right? Charles Finney, who was at the forefront of the Second Great Awakening, he says, Revival is nothing uh, more or less than a new beginning for godly obedience. So you bring a few people together who get thoroughly right with God, and then you have them head to prayer to ask the God who is the one who can bring revival, that he would pour out his blessing upon them as a people, upon them as a church, upon them as a community, a valley, upon them as a nation, whatever it may be, that you would get a hunger to be right with God, but then you would take that energy and you would seek God. Said that we can't organize a revival, but we can agonize in prayer for a revival. And then third, oh, I think this is where we fall short. We offer ourselves up, whatever you want me to do, God, whatever. Whatever you want me to do, God, and in particular, for me to be a witness of your life, your death, and your resurrection to a lost world. And that I would be active, not only in words, but also in deeds, to a lost world for them to be quickened and awakened. So that was R.A. Torrey's prescription for revival. And it, it sort of uh, speaks what God spoke many years ago to the Israelites when they were in a bad predicament concerning their lack of godliness. And you're familiar maybe with this passage on the second chronicle 7:14 it says if my people and there it's referring to Israel but people that would get before God people that serve the same kind of God throughout all generations and so i believe it's applicable if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways 
Then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Shall we just stop and have a time around the prayer altars? Somebody showed me a picture this week. I need him to send it to me. Some of you know there's sort of like a homeschool co-op that operates and educates a lot of young people here during the week. And on Fridays, they sort of have a little bit of a chapel time. And the picture that I was shown was a picture of these altars filled with young elementary age kids kneeling and praying. And when I saw that, I was grateful for Jessica, who the leader and took some initiative to bring some defined spiritual focus into that day. It was Bible day. They were all supposed to bring their Bibles and talk about Bible stories, I guess. But I thought to myself when I was shown that picture, that's the kind of simple heart that we need with us. You don't need to be all ramped up or, you know, all emotionally caught up and saying, all right, God, we're done. But just a simple humility with a child's heart to say, God, I want to be right with you. God, I pray for a fresh pouring out of your spirit and your work in my life, my family, my church. And I'm going to rise from here. And I'm going to do whatever you've called me to do. Sometimes we make revival this mystical thing. And when you're caught in the throes, and you know, it's nice to see this movie being made. And by the way, it comes out in February, February 24th, in theaters and distributed elsewhere. You know, and the, the hope was that the Jesus Revolution film recapturing that movement would spark some fresh movement today. It's nice, though, to try to capture the wonder of something in the past, and then we sort of romanticize it, we mystify it. And then we go, oh, can, can we do that again? Can we get back there or whatever? And I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward. I do know that some of the trajectory right now doesn't look very good. The director of that movement given reference to some of the candy-coated kind of Christianity that is being offered today, and that ain't going to get us there. But a deep-seated repentance and an offering to God and prayer can move us that direction to be lined up for his blessing. And Richard Owen Roberts, who is a, a revival, who is a revival historian, I met with him once, and he gave reference that if we want to get back to where we were, we have to find out how we got to where we are. Now, that's an interesting historical study. But I come to realize 
we don't want to get back to where we were because we can't go back and replicate anything, whether it's the first or second great awakening or the prayer movement of the businessmen in New York City or the Jesus people movement. There's a fresh thing that needs to happen. And so a revival is not about getting ourselves back to where we were, but going to where we've never been. I don't know about you. I just, I just want to be part of it. That's why we're camped here on this. And so if God could just continue to stir up in you a hungry heart to do that. We, we looked at um, a few things thus far. We said that you can reasonably understand why revival tarries when there's a lack of spiritual hunger, when there's a lack of divine belief that God can make something happen. I just want to simply state to you today that revival tarries when there's a lack of godly obedience. When there's a lack of godly obedience. Dry bones, can they come to life? Sure, thou knowest God. And there was Ezekiel we looked at last week. Ezekiel standing before the valley of dry bones and going, oh my goodness. And we sang it today, dry bones rattle, and they started to come together, right? And there was the skeleton, and, and then there came muscle and tendon, and then the skin. But there was no life until the breath of God came into that being. And then in Ezekiel's vision, he saw this mighty army raised up by the breath of God. And we mentioned last week one of the critical things that Ezekiel did in obedience to God was, and as hard as it would be, he stood before those dry bones and he preached. He preached. Sort of like preaching today, maybe. Dry bones. There's a revivalist by the name of Vance Havner. I, I once uh, was exhorted. He says, young preacher, he says, would you stand up there? You got 30 minutes to raise the dead. You just remember that. You got 30 minutes to raise the dead. And I know sometimes I take longer than 30 minutes, but that's because there's dead. <laughs> got to get it coming, right? Ezekiel stood before those dead, dry bones, and he did what God said, and he preached the word. And the word of God was spoken over that deadness. And the bones began to organize together. And we said that's where the revival initiative needs to happen in many ways is for the word of God to be spoken. Well, those Israelites that were in bondage and captivity during Ezekiel's day were held bound in the Babylonian area for 70 years. And God raised up some movements for the Jewish people to be restored back into their homeland and back in Jerusalem. One was Ezra. And Ezra went back and he took some people with him and he began to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed and ruined. It was just desolate. You know, the, the hurricane this week, and by God's grace, we continue to pray for the people that have been smitten by that horrific storm that went through Florida. People that have nothing. 
desolate. That's what happened to Jerusalem and Israel. It's desolate. 70 years in captivity. God raises up. Ezra goes back. He begins to restore the temple. But the walls around the city were not restored. And so what God did was God raised up another person. His name was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was a pretty high-end general contractor, I think. He wasn't known as the preacher, the priest, or the scribe like Ezra was. He wasn't the pastor kind of person. God raises up all kinds of people, you know. There's all kinds of gifts. When he wants to see a movement happen, you just offer yourself to God in whatever way he can use you, right? Well, what happened was there was a revival that came about by these two men, Nehemiah and Ezra, and it's recorded in God's word. And, and we, of course, don't have time to uh, dig deep and embellish our way all the way through it. But Nehemiah went to King Artaxerxes, and he, and, and, and he was the cupbearer. And if he went at the wrong time or with the wrong request, he could be you know, commissioned to be killed, sentenced to be killed. And favor was granted to him. Favor for passage, favor for supplies. And Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem. His heart had been broken because he'd heard about the walls down and he began to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem so it could be protected from enemies. So there was an identity of a people because they'd been destitute. Now you gotta remember 70 years in Babylon, you've begun to lose your identity as a people. You've begun to lose your identity concerning your God faith. Some didn't, but many did. They would grow through their years and marry. And, and so this whole semblance of a of generation identity of the Jewish Israelite people was sort of uh, nominal, scattered, but some people went back and they went back and they began to, to help build things. And, and it's recorded in God's word that they began to fill in the cracks between where the walls were and different families, different people took assignments one place to another. And the walls were rebuilt. And what happens in Nehemiah 8 is they're a turning because from Nehemiah 1 through chapter 7, it's talking about the building of the exterior walls. But in chapter 8, it turns and talks about the rebuilding of the interior life. And what Nehemiah does is he brings out the old Ezra guy, and he has Ezra bring the word of God and challenge the people who have lost their identity, lost their ways with what the scriptures, what the book of Moses had taught them as a people. And what you find in Nehemiah 8 is God communicating about his word really four things. There's the hearing of God's word. There's the understanding of God's word. There's the rejoicing of God's word. And then there's the obeying of God's word. So I take you there briefly. To Nehemiah, chapter 8, if you'll turn there, and we will look at what it says. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, it was actually in an October month, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And then it says this in verse 2, 
They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read, he stood up, and he read aloud. He read aloud from daybreak till noon. Could I just stop right there? That was longer than 30 minutes, raise the day. From daybreak to noon, like five hours, he stood and he spoke to them. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and the women who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And then it says this, Ezra the teacher of the law stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. I'm pretty sure it's probably a lot higher than this. So they built a high platform. He's standing on it. And it wasn't a small little platform because it says that uh, there were like 13 different names of people that were up with him on the stage. And I won't list those names because I'll butcher them, but you can read them. People will probably meet someday, right? And then in verse 5, it says this. Ezra, the teacher... Ezra, the teacher of the law, he opened the book. The book of what? Our Bible? No. The whole Old Testament? No. He opened the book of Moses, the Pentateuch. Five first books of the Bible. And with that book, remember, they they couldn't pull this up on their iPhones, or they didn't have some app to stream something from illiterate, maybe most of them. And so the idea of standing up and speaking the word of God over people was huge. And he would retell the story of the book of Moses so that they could get an identity back and that the walls of their interior life could be restored for who they were to be as a people. Ezra opened the book. And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. I won't have you do that. A lot of times I've seen where the reading of God's word and reverence, you stand in a church. Well, he had them stand. He had them stand. And remember, it wasn't just a nice little, you know, 15, 20 minute worship block. It was daybreak. Till noon. They were standing. They were standing. And then it goes on and it says this. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded. And they said, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So there, there's not a lot of particular details here. If you were to jump to the next chapter in Nehemiah chapter 
9, Ezra goes on and gives a lot of uh, exhortation concerning their need to repent and get themselves right with God. And they do so. And they pray to God. And then they offer themselves again to God. But that prescription that R.A. Torrey sort of threw out, you sort of see it hop operating and, 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 and interacting with the body of people there. And this word of God was a call to godly obedience. A call to godly obedience. Hearing the word. Understanding the word. Rejoicing over the word and their identity and what God had done and what he was now doing in their midst with a fresh new sense of revival coming back from Babylonian captivity. And then obeying the word. Can't move on in the series unless there's that front challenge with you in your life again today. Are you hearing the Word of God? Are you understanding the Word of God? Do you rejoice over the Word of God? And most importantly, are you obeying the Word of God? Oh, there's a lot of nice how-to books and other kinds of, uh, you know, exhortations that you can find and with friendship circles, what you need to do with your problems or situations. This is how you get out of it. This is what you need to do if he's treating you bad, if she's treating you bad. You know, this is what you need to do if you need to, to get yourself more financially secure, do some other. There's advice all around us. Health advice, this is how you need to exercise, those kinds of things. We're going everywhere for all kinds of advice, listening to words, words, words. But do we go to Scripture and read his word, and reflect on his word? Do we take it outside, sit in a patio chair, ask God, I'm now going to open, I'm going to read about you. I want you to speak into my life. Had the opportunity this week with Pastor Trey to do a podcast um, for uh, the Alliance, and it was on spiritual warfare and deliverance ministry, and the question was asked, um, by Michael, who's back here, and he said, he said, hey, uh, he says, you got any recommendations where to read at concerning spiritual warfare and, and uh, deliverance work, that kind of thing? And I'm thinking, okay, this and that, and, you know, this podcast, you never know what kind of question you're going to get thrown at you. And so I said, oh, a little bit of the, you know, and then I thought, you know, the main thing is if we would just dig back into the Gospels and look at the ministry life that Jesus had that he passed on to his disciples, he sent them out to tell people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he said, you need to heal the sick, cast out demons, take care of the poor. When's the last time you endeared yourself to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then, plop, put yourself right in the middle of it. Had another good... Men's meeting, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. I keep giving that advertisement up here because I can't get it in the announcements, I guess. But 8 o'clock on Saturday mornings, men uh, all come. And we're walking our way through Acts. And we're in Acts 3 this week. And I was just thinking, you know, I want to be there when that... Uh, Cripple was healed by, healed by the gate beautiful and, and all the turmoil that happened after that because, oh my gosh, the, the religious heat just came down heavy on, on 
Peter and them, and I'm thinking, I, I am a part of that some. I, I just need to envision myself being plopped into the ongoing acts of the apostles, the ongoing acts of the disciples. I want to endear myself through the word of God, to know Jesus, to envision myself there, to hear his commands to me. All those red letters, if you got a red letter edition, those are the words of Jesus, not only to the people during his time, they're words to you this week for your situation. Does the word of God align your life? Are you hearing it? Are you seeking to understand it? Whether in a life group or a Bible study, whatever, and understand, and then to rejoice over it because of the hope that it brings. And then to just go and obey it. And many times with that whole obey thing, it's, it's not sins of, you know, commission that are problems. It's a lot of times it's a sin of omission. You know the difference? Commission is when you're committing something you shouldn't do. Omission is when you're, you know, omitting something out of your life that should be a part of it. You know, you're just sort of flipping through your Facebook page, your Instagram, and that kind of thing, and there's something comes to you that's like, why don't I just take some time and, and flip on the, the YouVersion Bible app and read Scripture? Oh, I just sort of ignore that. Oh, this next person, you see what they're doing? See what they're doing? Now, what happens in that moment? I'm not coming down on us as a heavy. I'm guilty of the same thing where I don't spend as much time in the Word as I probably should. But is their obedience to spending time in the Word rather than all the other words that are surrounding us in these days? And so that's my simple exhortation to you today. Take this book. If you don't have a good Bible, you come talk to me. I'll talk I'll, I'll work it out somehow. Open the book. If you don't know where to go, ask some people where to go. The U version, it's on a Bible app, free, downloads. Millions and millions of people across the world. They have a Bible reading plan in that. There's other kinds of plans. Maybe you're a systematic person. You would need to be sort of have a structure. Maybe you're one of these people, oh, I think I'll just read there today. I really don't care at this moment. Because most often, we're not in the Word of God. But in Nehemiah, when Ezra stood up, he brought the Word. And that Word helped realign a lost people around the purposes of God for them to have an identity and for them to serve God's purposes. And we are amiss if we think we can have revival without having the word central. Why revival, Terry's? A lack of spiritual hunger, a lack of divine belief that God can raise the dead in our own weary souls, and a lack of godly obedience. Remember, Jesus had some pretty strong words for some churches in the book of Revelation. He talked about this church at Sardis. You have a reputation for being alive that you're dead. Church at Laodicea, who is, yeah, I see so what's happening, but you're blind, you're naked, you're poor. One of those other churches was the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus had some good affirming words. But it's probably the words Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus that have penetrated me the most in all the years of my life trying to serve the Lord. 
and being fully alive in him and to his mission, as we say at the awakening. And there are these words in Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5. It says this, You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Your light will be gone. And so from that simple exhortation, words of Jesus, last book of the Bible, spoken through the Apostle John in the Revelation, there's three things. Remember, repent, and return. Remember, repent, and return. We said that maybe our heart cry should be these words if they're not already. Lord, there must be more. Lord, there must be more. What's motivated that movie director to jump on this project of his life? There's got to be more than what we're offering the young generation today. And there is a generation that found it. Lord, there must be more. But maybe the cry today is, Lord, what would you have me to do? I'm going to invite Angela and the team to come back. The first Sunday of the month, but we've moved communion to next week. I believe there's a moment in time for you to answer that question. Which one? Well, either one. But the second question today, Lord, what would you have me to do? And what would you have me to do concerning your word? Hearing your word, understanding your word, rejoicing over your word, and obeying your word. I'm going to have her... Sing that song, God of Revival. And as we sing, I'm going to ask the ushers to take their place, receive the Lord's tithes and offerings and your connect cards. And if there's any response that you need to give on the back of what God's doing in your life, wanting spiritual growth or have a relationship with Jesus, you can do that. But as we sing this song, I want you to just give credence to the Holy Spirit speaking to you in these areas. If you need to come and pray at the front privately, that's fine. There'll be people that you can pray with over here to your right. But these are moments for God to seal something maybe he's prodded you with. It doesn't have to be sealed here, I know. Some of us maybe need to just go out and spend some time with the Lord and just have him do some more soul-searching. I know I can't raise any dead bones, but I know one who can, and you can seek him out. And here even this morning, there's some of you who maybe have never given your life to Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that you can do that. And so as I pray and then we sing, do you want to respond to this simple prayer? Do so in your heart. 
If you want to respond to something God's burned you with about your Christian walk that you've been on, whether short-term or long-term, then respond. But these are our moments before God for Him to do that surgical work, that revival work of taking something that's dead and being made alive. Sometimes it's like a restoring work, like an old car. It's like, man, that's a pretty classic car, but man, it's all bad, banged up, and, and people restore cars, right? Well, maybe your spiritual life is banged up and it just needs to be restored. Seek him out while he may be found. And he will shed his love and his power in your life. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, here this morning, we thank you for your goodness, for your word, for your gospel, for truth. Lord, if there's anyone here in this room today who has never crossed that line of repenting and turning their life over to you to be a a Jesus follower, may they just simply repeat this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for loving me, for coming to this earth, living, dying, and being raised from the grave so that I could have the forgiveness of my sin and the power to live life as you intended for me. So Jesus, I repent of my sin, I turn. And I now believe in you and place my faith in you and I commit my life to follow you from this day forward. Come into my life, revive me, awaken me. Lord, may I worship you all the days of my life till I see you face to face. And Lord, for those who need to be revived, that have walked with you, whether banged up in disbelief or maybe they just need to restore, maybe they need to dig fresh into your word as exhorted, Lord, may you do that good and faithful work to them. For you, God, are the God of revival and we worship you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Lord, as Angel leads us, may we worship you with all of our voice. Amen. Will you stand with me? If you need to pray, pray. But may this be a declaration point in your life to be obedient to God's word today.